Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress, a little show called Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. So glad you are with us on the show tonight. Thea Harper is our associate producer out of Brooklyn. Chris Hauselt is our executive producer out of South Carolina. And uh, I'm your little pal here in Manhattan Island, New York City. Feel free to give us a call if you are someone who listens to us. In the morning on the app, the John Fugelsang podcast, or Sirius XM On Demand. We thank you very much. We love the Daywalkers as much as we love our evil army of the night. You guys are always welcome to call in live if you find yourself near a phone with nothing to do some evening. We're live every weeknight from 9 p.m. till midnight on the East Coast, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the Pacific Coast. For all you folks driving home from your jobs, we are at 866-997-GRIT. We're going to be taking your calls for the rest of the night. Later on in this hour, I'm very happy to welcome Amy Littlefield of The Nation, who is their main reporter on abortion access. And she has got a great cover story for The Nation called The Fight for Abortion After Roe Falls, written in May, knowing exactly what was going to happen. Really quick, I want to play you a little bit of uh, Joe Biden, who is still in isolation from COVID Part 2. He signed this executive order. That was aimed specifically at making travel to terminate a pregnancy easier for those in need. You know, this executive order also helps women travel out of state for medical care. Secretary Becerra is going to work with states through the Medicaid to allow them to provide reproductive health care for women who live in states where, where, where abortions were, are, are being banned in that state. Executive order makes sure healthcare providers comply with federal law so women don't face delays or denials of medically necessary care. And this executive order advances research and data collection to evaluate the impact of this reproductive health crisis that's having on, 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 on maternal health and other health conditions and outcomes. 
This executive order builds on the first one I signed last month that created this task force in the first place. And that also will help safeguard access to health care, including the right to choose and contraception. Promote safety and security of clinics, patients and providers. Protect patients' privacy and access to accurate information. So this is more than a month after the Supreme Court ruled that the U.S. Constitution does not protect the right to obtain an abortion, and Joe Biden puts out his most concrete directive yet to help some Americans from the state bans on having the procedure. This was the first meeting of the White House's task force on reproductive health care, and Biden marked it by signing this executive order that's going to allow states with legal abortion access to get Medicaid waivers to help out-of-state people seeking abortions. Uh, Pretty momentous, especially because it comes the day after one of our most conservative states voted resoundingly to protect abortion rights. I mean, Kansas voters just last night totally rejected this amendment that would have stripped abortion protections from the state's constitution. It's the first time since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade that American voters in any state have cast ballots on abortion. And it was decisive. It was 59 to 41. It was an 18 points. It was not close. And it shows in a deep red state how deep the voter backlash is going to be. The New York Times said what was striking was the degree to which the picture was similar everywhere, from the bluest counties to the reddest ones. Abortion rights performed better than Mr. Biden, and opposition to abortion performed worse than Mr. Trump. It was very heavy in their election yesterday. Biden said in a statement that this vote makes clear what we know. The majority of Americans agree that women should have access to an abortion. Right now, 15 states allow state Medicaid funds to help cover most abortion treatments, which could become destinations for people seeking abortions from states where the procedure has been banned. And when Biden signed this order, the White House said this does not violate the Hyde Amendment. Watch this space for that debate, because that debate's not going to go away. We are at 866-997-GRIT. And Linda in Kansas, thank you for your patience. Welcome. Thank you. I wanted to comment on the abortion, the constitutional amendment in Kansas yesterday. I very much want to rejoice, but and I don't want to rain on anybody's joy, but I wanted to address some reaction I've been hearing. I've seen a lot on Twitter about Kansas respects women. No, Kansas does not mm-hmm. respect women. The legislature is, state legislature is deeply, deeply, deeply red. My guess is they'll come up with a better amendment the next time, and they'll try it again, and they'll confuse it even yeah. more and, and might get closer to victory. I don't know. I've lived in Kansas mm-hmm. for 30 years with a nine-year hiatus in, in New York. But I mean, I got to say this, this also, I understand your concerns, but 18 points. I mean, this was decisive and this was Republicans voting for it as well. And this would be men voting for it as well. A lot of guys had to come out for this. I agree. I agree. And, and I, and I, I, I hold on to your optimism when I can't hold on to my own. I hold on to yours. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I don't want to be too hopeful, if that makes sense. I understand. Um, Believe me, hopeful but not too hopeful is our mantra right now. I also want to um, let your listeners know, as you do also, that not all Christian clergy are anti-abortion. Many of us, I'm not certain. Correct. 
moment, but I have been clergy for decades, and I have many, many friends who are clergy who believe that people should have the right to determine their own health care and that uh, abortion is a, a part of that health care. Uh, may I ask what your denomination is, Linda? What, what, is, your, uh, what is your sect? United Methodist. Oh, right on. I, listen, I, I love that you said it because I do think that, you know, Christians who don't want to put women in cages for terminating pregnancy need to speak up because it's the majority of Christians. And as I'm very fond of pointing out, the Bible is not against abortion. The Bible does not call for us to put women in jail who have them. And I really enjoy reading the writings of Rabbi Dania Rutenberg. I don't know if you've heard of her. Oh, yes, already. me too. Yes, yeah, yeah. I do. I love her. Yeah, she's wonderful. Absolutely. She she writes great commentary that I, I wish I found her when I was still preaching because she gave great, great commentary that I would have loved to to have preached with. Well, you are welcome to call in here and preach anytime. Thank you. And thank all of the folks in Kansas who've thought this issue through for showing up last night and protecting women and keeping poor women from deeper poverty. Yes. Yes, very much so. I'm what a pleasure. Linda, thank thanks. Oh, thank you. I appreciate Kansas more than I ever have today. Call us more often. It's a pleasure to hear from you. Thank you. We are at 866-997-GRIT. Let me go to Robin in the great state of Arizona. Hello. Uh, hi, John. Uh, big fan. Talk to you first time. Hi. First time. Um, I'm so honored. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how are we blaming ourselves for crazy-ass Republicans winning their primaries? It's 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 I'm not we blaming have anybody. battered something syndrome. <laughs> we, we can't control it. I am. I, I still don't know all the Arizona candidates on the Democratic side that won because all I hear about are Republicans on every medium. I know it's not. I know. But it, I know. But again, I, I'm not blaming anyone. Uh, you know, uh, like Democrats. It's not that they want these right wingers to win, but some Democrats, not all, but some Democrats have done. And by the way, this is what people always do, especially in states with open primaries. They try to get the person of the opposing party they think is least likely to be able to win to have the nomination. So it's nothing new. We're just hearing about it nonstop right now. Yeah. And I'd actually rather the crazies win. I think I honestly believe we have a better chance. I I think honestly, I'd rather run against Trump than DeSantis. Yeah. That's what I keep saying. I'd rather run against Trump than DeSantis yeah. every day of the week. The, the only problem is sometimes the crazies win. And, that, that's true. <laughs> you know, and that's then, true. then, of course, it, uh, it winds up you know, hurting Democrats and hurting everybody else. But honestly, yeah. I, you know, yeah. look, we'll see. It's all going to come down to the turnout in Arizona. And you know this. If there is a yeah. huge voter turnout, it's going to be a great day for Democrats because all these crazies will be defeated. But if nobody shows up, the crazies will control every elective office in the state. Yeah. Yeah. I know there was a huge turnout in Kansas. I'm wondering, was there a huge turnout here and and across the board? I'm wondering, I mean, the numbers look low, but primary numbers tend to look low. But I'm wondering if a lot of Republicans aren't turning out. That's a good point. I mean, I would imagine a lot of Republicans are turning out to vote for the more establishment candidates because they know how toxic the Trump brand is. I mean, you know, between Phoenix and Tucson and the suburbs around them. I mean, that's the bulk of the voters, and that's Absolutely. what the Republican establishment is terrified of offending. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're definitely purple, but these guys, I mean, they suck all the oxygen out of the room. It's like nobody else exists. I party. know. I know. I know. So it's all going to come down to how advantageous that can be. And I think having this many crazies on in one year, I think it's going to get a lot of people in Phoenix and Tucson and the suburbs to show up. 
I'm going to be it optimistic backfire, about that. But still, we got to blame those damn crazy people for it. For, for, for them, for I anyone know, but it's going to be amazing. We can do, we'll do our best. I mean, everyone, every candidate who pushes the big lie won in Arizona. So we're all going to be watching that state to see what happens. <laughs> because and I'm wondering, are I mean, those it, Republicans that turned out, the rabid ones? Yeah. Did the moderates yeah. stay home? I would love, I would love to know that. That's my whole point of the show. The, 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 yeah. the rabid ones are the party now. There is no establishment GOP anymore, at least not in power. There is no establishment Republican Party anymore. And these people are either all going to lose, and then Democrats will have control, or they're all going to win, and crazies will have control. And after they go, as you know, after they go for the Democrats and the liberals and, 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 and the women and the immigrants and the gay people and the unions, then they're going to turn on smart Republicans. That's always who they yeah. turn on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're already doing that now. I mean, they can't control it. I mean, evil, evil overplays its hand all the time. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, we'll have to see. I, I do believe we're, we're going to retain the House and, and gain in the Senate. But, um, you know, some of that is I hope so. thinking, but I, I honestly I honestly think that that people will be scared off. I didn't think Trump could win either. But, you know, in my heart, I don't necessarily believe he did. I mean, certainly not the popular vote. It just worked out that way the first time in 2016. That's very true. But, if we were um, in a democracy, yeah, Hillary we'll be, Clinton would be in her second term right now. You're right. Yeah. Yep. But uh, we'll mean, hold we'll on see. and we'll you keep know, fighting the good yeah. fight. But, you know, just let, you know, let them hold the bag for all of that garbage that they put out there. Not, not, not. I'm a, with you, Robin. We, we just spotlight. I'm with you. Much, let, but, yeah. Let Carrie Lake be the face of the party. Let someone who bragged to me that she voted for Barack Obama be the face of the Republican Party in Arizona. Go ahead. Let's see how it plays. Thank you so much for the call. Always a pleasure. Great to hear from you. 866-997-GRIT is our number. Uh, Cheryl in Michigan. How are you, Cheryl? We can hear you. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Cheryl. Okay. Um, first, I want to say... <laughs> One night you were, you were talking about the um, leader in Ukraine, and people were saying, well, he was a comedian. And I said, well, comedians yes. are great because they stand up in front of a room of people and tell jokes and expect them to laugh. And recently I heard mm-hmm. about a survey that um, someone took who said, most people's greatest fear is standing up in front of a room of strangers and speaking. And um, most people really? fear that more than death. So that confirms my, you know... But I would say about comedians being brave. And I thought you'd like to hear that since you are one. And uh, also, <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily a good idea for um, Democrats to vote for a crazy Republican thinking they'll be easier to beat. I know. I don't know when it's I lived, dangerous. When I lived in Georgia, which I did for 30 years, there was this crazy Republican who was running, and I considered doing that, but I didn't. And my neighbor, who was a Republican, thought the guy was insane, too. And I don't remember if, if he won or lost in the primary, but, yeah, that kind of thing can hmm. backfire, so I'm kind of against it. But anyway, it can. It's I scary. Do. But again, you know, I understand, I understand it. It's, it's, a, it's a dodgy proposition, and, and Democrats are, and Republicans have done this for a long time as well. There were plenty of Republicans who yeah. wanted to face Bernie Sanders instead of Hillary Clinton because they thought Bernie Sanders would be easier to beat. So I, I, I get how the system works. It all comes down to how. I mean, how will they do it? Because if they get this wrong, then it's fascism with puppets. Well, Michael, what was the thing <laughs> we'll that you thought that? Uh, Bernie would, you know, would win. Hillary uh, would lose. By yeah, way, I know. Well, I th- and, and you know what, Bernie, but by the way, and, and I hear this all the time, and I think Bernie could have won, no doubt. Bernie could have won in 2016. But the reality is, 
you know, if Bernie was the nominee, and I say this as a Bernie Sanders fan, if Bernie had been a nominee, then the entire thing would have been a referendum on socialism. You know, it's just that that's what it all would have been about. And so uh, there's and and plus, if Bernie had one, I I, and I say this as a guy who loves Bernie, he does the show. But, you know, what guarantee is there that Bernie would have done any better with a McConnell Senate than Biden has? So, you know, it's all just guesswork. I've always been curious, you know, Mike Moore, have you ever heard of him? What you think of him? Michael Moore? He's been on the show a couple times. I I have a lot of love and a lot of admiration. Oh, Mike Malloy is his name. He oh, Mike Malloy. I love Mike Malloy. Yes, yeah, and I've been on his too. show. I love Malloy. Yes, I yeah. love Malloy. I He's very, ferocious. I was yeah. very sad when he left SiriusXM. But anyway, thanks for mm. giving me my say. Thank you so much. Have a great evening, Cheryl. Really appreciate it. We're at 866-997-GRIT. What's that, Chris? I said I hear that. Do you really? You mean to turn it up? Kirsten Cinema, most powerful person in America. She now is the president. She now gets the mantle of mansion. She is looking at changes to this new $740 billion reconciliation bill that Manchin and Schumer have come up with. And it's hard to tell where she's going to come down. She's the one senator who could kill all of this, the Inflation Reduction Act of 20. I just call it IRA. Um, she has so much leverage because Democrats are waiting to hear from the Senate parliamentarian over whether the bill even complies with the bird rule, which if it doesn't, it could kill this whole thing. And the fact that these negotiations were conducted in secret, I mean, Cinema had no idea about it. And she has not weighed in on whether she'll support the bill until after the parliamentarian gives her judgment on it. But what I've read about is that she's actually looking at getting more money into the bill, more money to fund uh, uh, climate change measures like droughts and water security in the Southwest. I mean, she thinks that the $369 billion climate and energy portion of the bill is not enough. So I love that. But of course, she's also got some problems because let's think about who pays her with the 15% corporate minimum book tax. And uh, she's afraid that could get passed down to employees. She does support cracking down on tax avoidance, but she's long been against closing the carried interest loophole, which could contribute $14 billion towards paying down the bill's $740 billion total. So she's meeting privately, we've read about, all day with uh, all different people in Arizona and a lot of environmental people. She was in Flagstaff last week, meeting with local officials who are still trying to get a handle on all the flooding and the wildfires they've had. She had a call with Arizona's Chamber of Commerce, and uh, people were supporting the bill, you know, but she still hasn't weighed in on it. So five former Treasury secretaries just weighed in on it. Five former Treasury secretaries, including Hank Paulson, who served under Bush. Today, they all signed a statement strongly backing the Inflation Reduction Act. Robert Rubin, Larry Summers, who worked under Obama, Tim Geithner and Jacob Liu, who worked under Obama, and Hank Paulson. That's bipartisan support. That's going to help the White House and Democrats push back against the Republican talking point that millions of Americans who make under $400,000 a year would see their taxes rise. They've literally got Bush's (laughs) Treasury Secretary who ripped you all off coming here and saying, no, this doesn't rip them off. We will see. All I know is 81 million Americans voted for Biden. 1.2 million Americans voted for Kirsten Sinema. Only 280,000 voted for Joe Manchin. But we are hostage to whatever mansion and cinema want. Again, 81 million of us, not as powerful as 1.2 million and 280,000. Doesn't matter what the majority wants. And Kirsten Cinema was once a Green Party activist. 
Can you imagine if she winds up being the one to destroy the most significant federal climate bill ever while Arizona is facing just horrific impacts of climate change? It would repudiate everything she ever pretended to stand for. Let's watch this space. It's going to be very interesting over the next few days. God, Arizona, you're keeping it interesting for the rest of us, aren't you? Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome back. I think a lot of us are still trying to make sense of how amazing this referendum vote in Kansas was this week. It was the first statewide referendum on abortion rights anywhere in America since the Supreme Court destroyed Roe v. Wade. And we saw nearly 60 percent of voters in Kansas reject this proposed constitutional amendment that would deny the right to an abortion in the state. And it wasn't even close. It was like an 18 percentage point spread So I was so excited to get a chance to talk to Amy Littlefield. She is the nation's abortion access correspondent. She's a journalist who focuses on, uh, well, some of my favorite topics, reproductive rights, healthcare, and religion. You've got to do yourself a favor and read her excellent cover story in The Nation, The Fight for Abortion After Roe Falls. It was published in May, and everything she talked about in the piece is coming to pass. What a pleasure to welcome Amy Littlefield to SiriusXM. Hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me, John. Thank you. You were there in Kansas. You you just got back, and I know that you were really on the ground. Uh, what was the experience like for you? I was. I mean, it was an amazing experience. I got to see canvassers out in the field on Sunday, two young women who had never canvassed for a political issue before, who were out knocking on doors in the blazing Wichita, Kansas heat, um, trying to get out the vote to defeat this anti-abortion amendment in Kansas. And then I got to spend the day at Dr. George Tiller, the assassinated abortion provider at his former clinic in Wichita, um, where staff were seeing patients from Texas and Oklahoma and all across the South and Midwest who were flocking to this clinic because it's, you know, sort of a bastion, um, surprisingly, given what a conservative state Kansas is. And, you know, looming over their day was the knowledge that Kansans were going to be voting on the question of of whether abortion access would be able to continue in the state. And they were cautiously optimistic. I think staff thought maybe because of the overturn of Roe v. Wade and because of the enormous effort that went into getting out the vote, they might just squeak by, but they thought it would be really close. They thought it would be a nail biter. And 
when I first saw the results, I have to tell you, I thought that there was something wrong. Like, I yeah. thought I was misunderstanding <laughs> and that, oh. oh, maybe it's just a small percentage that's come in. I mean, they just blew it out of the water. It's unbelievable. And and for folks who, who you know, are surprised by this, um, I, I think that there's no way to underscore how this could have gone the other way. I mean, how deeply were the odds stacked against abortion rights prevailing in this referendum? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, first of all, the Republican legislature had strategically scheduled this vote for an August primary when there were a lot of exciting Republican races on the ballot that Democrats didn't have. And so that's right. So only Republicans are going to show up. They thought only Republicans would show up to vote. And probably no one would show up, right? Because it's August, people are on vacation, and it's a primary. And 30%, about 30% of the Kansas electorate is unaffiliated. So they tend to not vote in primaries, because why would they? So, you know, people trying to get out the vote had to reach those people and say, hey, you can vote on this, even though you can't vote for candidates if you're not registered with a political party, you can still vote on this ballot measure. Um, And so, you know, they had to reach out to a huge swath of the population. And then there was also the fact that this amendment, the language was incredibly confusing. I mean, even for people who knew what it was supposed to do, it was very convoluted and hard to understand. Um, and so I think there were people, you know, when I was shadowing the canvassers, there were people who answered the door and said, look, can you explain this to me? What does yes mean? What does no mean? Wow. <laughs> like one wow. woman said, my, my daughter, she said, my teenage daughters are just telling me, mom, don't worry about it. Just vote. No, <laughs> like they're very oh. pro-abortion rights. Just vote. No, but it, it, it's, thinks, but then it, she was confused. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a, a you know, a Florida 2020 presidential punch card ballot, like just designed oh to confuse and obfuscate. No, r- rather deliberately and in a sophisticated way. I mean, uh, is it yes. true that like one out of three voters in Kansas are unaffiliated and maybe didn't even know they could vote in a primary? Right. And then, I mean, you, you look at the fact that, like many conservative states, Kansas has voter suppression policies in place, right? So, for example, you have to register to vote three weeks before the election. And so when I was in the clinic, there was a nurse there who oh. said her son had put a vote no bumper sticker on his car. He was so excited to vote. He was finally voting age. He was going to go out and vote. And she was like, well, did you register? And he was like, oh, don't worry. I registered last night. She was like, oh, my God, you have to register three weeks ahead of time. Right. So that disenfranchises a significant number of people right off the bat. Um, So, you know, those are just some of the odds that that had to be overcome here. And it's just it's truly astounding um, how successful the abortion rights campaigners were. I mean, as you point out in your piece, there's a, a wall of deep, deep red to the east mm-hmm. and to the south of Kansas. You, you look at the map and you see how patients from Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, they're going to be traveling to Kansas for the health care. And I think right. a lot of people, uh, both liberal and conservative, are kind of astonished that such a deep red state as Kansas could pull this one off. And it certainly has invigorated Democratic voters who think that, yeah, this is the, this is the majority, including plenty of Republicans who don't like abortion but don't want to see it criminalized, what do you say to people who are just flat-out shocked that this could happen in a state as red as Kansas? Right. I mean, I think the reality is that abortion rights activists have known for a long time that they have a majority. 
that the poll after poll after poll shows the majority of people support legal abortion. And certainly we know that the majority of the population disagrees with what the Supreme Court just did in overturning Roe v. Wade. And so the question has always been about how to harness the power of that majority and get them to the polls and how to make sure that their voices are heard, which can be very complicated in states where Republicans have locked in control and gerrymandered all the districts and passed voter suppression laws, right? I mean, to paraphrase the reproductive justice activist Renee Brishy Sherman, abortion is not a divisive issue, it's a gerrymandered one, right? And so, you know, it tends to be the case that when this issue is put right directly before the voters, you know, even in states like South Dakota and Mississippi, the most extreme anti-abortion Um, measures have failed when they've been put before the people in in ballot measures like this. And so, you know, I think it's just we tend to see anti-abortion legislation coming out of state legislatures, coming, you know, out of places that are less democratic than than a direct vote. I think the fear with this Kansas vote is that because it wasn't a, you know, legal abortion, yes, no (laughs) vote, because it was so convoluted and because of the timing, the odds were stacked against the abortion rights side. So, I think that's in part why it's so astonishing that they were able to pull this off. I mean, yeah, it kind of makes it sound like if they had labeled it thusly, it would have been a lot more than 18 points in favor of keeping abortion rights in the state. Yeah, I mean, it's really I mean, it's really sort of a glimpse, I think, of what it looks like when the pro-choice majority, you know, gets mobilized and gets angry and gets motivated and, and gets out to the polls. And I think we're just starting to see the vast potential um, and I hope it's a signal to Democrats that they should, you know, embrace abortion as a political issue in a more yep. full-throated way, which, which you know, the center of the party has not done. I mean, it's interesting. I was just looking at President Biden's Twitter feed, and he's been mentioning abortion care, you know, um, a few times. And, and there, used, there was a whole campaign to just get President Biden to say the word abortion. Um, and he's saying it now. So maybe, you know, Democrats are starting to realize that abortion rights are, are a winning political issue you and and you know not just <laughs> dancing around it but saying saying the word out loud i mean it's incredible we, we, we can't even begin to speculate how unpopular this ruling is i always bring up the gallup poll from 2012 that showed 77 percent of americans support abortion rights in all or some cases even mm-hmm. though only 43 percent would call themselves pro-choice. So it, it certainly seems like it's a, a, a dramatic winning argument, especially because, you know, we, we point out that they, they, the, the cutoff time to vote is three weeks. You can't register to vote in Kansas three weeks before a primary. But as you pointed out, the day Roe v. Wade was gutted by the Supreme Court, voter registration surged. I mean, it a got people engaged. Percent. A thousand yeah. percent. Yeah, I mean, absolutely staggering. And, you know, the other thing is that the campaign to defeat this amendment wasn't just the sort of, you know, established, you know, Kansans for Constitutional Freedom was the group that was sort of leading this effort. And, and you know, they, they mobilized a tremendous number of volunteers and, and people who are getting out the vote. But there were also just, you know, people who were enraged by this and who've been involved and invested in this issue for a long time. Like I, I was driving around on, on Election Day in Kansas and I just saw a woman walking by the side of the road 
holding a sign that said laws don't stop abortion. She's a former liquor store owner who just lives in that neighborhood. And she's out there every day. She said sometimes she goes out three times a day. She has to take breaks because, you know, it's like 90, 100 degrees out there. It's really hot under the blazing sun. And she's out there just walking up and down on the sidewalk, waving to cars. She's got this great rapport going with people in the neighborhood who know her and see her out there every day. And, you know, she's got her vote no sign. And, you know, I was there when an older woman from one of the nursing homes nearby came by and said, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, like in wow. a very quiet tone. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating because it's not just the sort of established campaigns that, that we're getting out. It was neighbors talking to neighbors, you know, people who'd never been involved in, in politics in an outspoken way before who were, you know, motivated to get involved in this. Absolutely. I, I want to ask you about the other states now where abortion rights are going to be on the ballot, because mm-hmm. we're about to see this vote take place in many different forms with different language in states ranging from Michigan to Colorado to Montana. What's on your radar right now and what might these future matchups look like? I mean, Kansas certainly seems like a very good sign for all these other states. Absolutely. And I mean, I think we're likely to see ballot initiatives become even more of a strategy for the abortion rights position after Kansas. Um, already there are some really interesting um, votes coming up in the November election. So, I mean, Michigan is definitely one to watch. That's a state where citizens um, have a pathway to put issues on the ballot. And um, so people in Michigan organized this broad coalition of reproductive rights and justice activists. They got over 900,000 people to sign to get um, a sweeping definition of reproductive freedom enshrined in the Michigan Constitution to put that on the ballot in November. It has, I don't think the vote's um, been, you know, approved officially yet because they're still reviewing the signatures. But I mean, it's a tenth of Michigan's population that signed this petition. I mean, they took activists there told me they had people driving across counties (laughs) to come Mm. to their house just to sign the petition. So, you know, and, and then Vermont and California also have um, ballot measures that would enshrine sweeping definition, you know, not just protecting abortion, but protecting you know, contraception, protecting against forced sterilization. They're really trying to go for a more um, broad definition of, of reproductive freedom and justice That's right. um, in their constitutions. And then in Kentucky and Montana, there's going to be measures that would you know, restrict abortion um, that are also on the ballot and and would be interesting to watch. So, you know, when Democrats say abortion is on the ballot, that's that's literally the the case in, in true. at least this half dozen states. Um, and I but think it's but it really in every strategy. Mm-hmm. But if I may, it's really on the ballot in every state. If we're looking at having mm-hmm. you know control of Congress to enshrine these rights on a federal level, it's on the ballot everywhere. And what what I love so much about this piece is that. You know, this Supreme Court that just gutted Roe v. Wade, it's it's the antithesis of democracy. Five of these six justices, as you know, were appointed by presidents who were rejected by the majority of voters when they ran for the White House. And the sixth one was appointed by a president who opposed the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So what, right. what you know, what you're talking about is actual direct democracy to protect these rights because an unelected Supreme Court picked by people who mostly lost the popular vote, won't protect these rights. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I think it sends a strong sign to elected representatives, too, because I think 
again, like I think not, I mean, you know, there's a difference right across. We've seen plenty of progressive Democrats who have, especially women of color, who have been out front, very vocal, defending abortion rights, especially since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, But I think for a long time, there's been a hesitancy by the mainstream of the Democratic Party to sort of full-throatedly embrace the issue of abortion rights. And so I think the extent to which, you know, (laughs) Democrats are able to ride the coattails of abortion (laughs) in in the November of election, you know, will depend on how much. And, and, and it's encouraging that, you know, President Biden, for example, is starting to, to sort of speak out um, and yeah. advance policies that, that more directly address this issue. I'm sure reproductive rights and justice activists want to see much more of that. Absolutely. And can I just say one of the things I've always loved about your writing is the fact that you talk about abortion and the need for access to abortion and you never shy away from the spirituality of all of it. I'm someone who talks mm. a lot about the Bible and Christianity in both my, my act and on this show and in my work. Uh, and I'm very fond of pointing out the Bible is not against abortion. Jesus's mm-hmm. religion of Judaism, not against abortion. I can go through all the scripture, which shows that I'm not going to say the Bible's pro-abortion, but it's not anti-abortion. It's Mm -hmm. really inspiring to me to see how you and your work at The Nation have consistently brought up all the Christians uh, or believers of all different faiths who are united in fighting for women to still have this choice and recognize that it's not in conflict with their spirituality because there's nothing in the teachings of Jesus that says incarcerate women who terminate pregnancies. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about my bread and butter here, too. This is my bread and butter. This is why I've had a a mental crush on you forever when I've read your stuff. (laughs) I mean, I love talking to people of faith who who have found, you know, and of course, all all of these scriptural teachings, it depends on how you interpret it. And and certainly if you talk to Jewish leaders, they'll say, you know, they can find very powerful justifications for, you know, reproductive freedom and justice in, in their texts. I mean, I think yeah. what's really interesting, having just come from Kansas, is, of course, when people think of Kansas, they think of, you know, megachurches and, and Christianity and evangelicals. And there was, I mean, the, the most powerful backer of the anti-abortion amendment in Kansas yeah. was the Catholic Church, right? You had dioceses that were pouring enormous amounts of money into trying to, to get this amendment through, um, and, you know, driving past Catholic schools and, and churches and evangelical um, churches that, that had, you know, big vote yes signs up front. Um, but I also saw quite a few churches um, that had, I mean, shout out to the Unitarians, but they weren't the only ones um, mm. who had vote no signs. And you had signs saying things like trust women. Jesus did. And, uh, yes. you know, and, <laughs> and Right. So there there are plenty of, and I think that that's an increasing trend. I think there's been a lot of organizing trying to get clergy to talk about the issue of abortion. I mean, I talked to clergy members who said they were giving sermons on abortion rights, right? Um, Because, of course, with a ballot measure like this, churches and and can weigh in in a way that they typically aren't supposed to, right? Yes, Um, yes. (laughs) I tell them all the time, hey, good news, Jesus, not against abortion. He opposed the death penalty. Get yourself a new sign, Christians. Right, right. Absolutely. So, I mean, what are we looking at now? You, you, you point out in your excellent cover story in The Nation about how this reproductive justice movement that is trying to restore this right or protect this right, you, you call it a battle with 50 different fronts. We're getting a front row seat to how the Republican Party can't stop declaring war on itself. What is the, the way going forward? 
where all the different factions that are all fighting for women's reproductive freedoms can work together and build an even stronger coalition that acknowledges the majority is on their side. Right. I mean, it's a huge question, and I think probably I'll spend the rest of my career trying to answer it. But I mean, I think I think the most encouraging sign to come out of Kansas actually is, and and out of other states too. I mean, all of the states that I mentioned that have these ballot initiatives, you know, Vermont, Michigan, um, they've seen an enormous, unprecedented amount of mobilization and interest and momentum from voters, from people in these states who have been complacently pro-choice for a long time, but now feel really motivated. And they're getting motivated to get involved at the local level. And I think that's what's crucial, right? Like people in Kansas could have said, oh, I better get on a bus to D.C., (laughs) you know, to protest at the Supreme Court. But, you know, instead, it seems and maybe they did that, too. But I mean, the most the most powerful expression of their outrage seems to be happening at the local level. And that's really where conservatives built their base of power after Roe v. Wade, right? I mean, and the Summer of Mercy, which happened in Wichita, Kansas in 1991, was this huge mm-hmm. anti-abortion gathering, you know, stadium-sized gathering of, of um, anti-abortion protesters, thousands of people arrested. And, and the big message coming out of that protest to anti-abortion activists was go run for local office. Right. And they took over these Republican, you know, county commissions and took over at the lowest level. Right. I mean, we're seeing this repeat itself again with the school board You know, the school boards are the new battleground. Um, I shouldn't say new because they're certainly not, but they're, you know, they're a political battleground. And and so, you know, these take this takeover by by anti-abortion um, conservatives at the local level really pulled the whole Republican Party to the right. You know, and and we saw, you know, <laughs> the result of that in the 2016 election, right, of what that looks like. So yeah. I think um, I think it's a really encouraging sign that people are getting involved in state and local politics. We're starting to see more and more city councils issuing funding for abortion. You know, I mean, the federal government has banned federal funding of abortion under yeah. the Hyde Amendment. For many, many, many years. And so you're starting to see more cities and states and counties saying we're going to fund abortion. Um, yep. And I think that's incredibly powerful. That's where it starts. That's certainly the playbook that conservatives knew how to harness. And, and um, so I'm encouraged. It, it starts small. It starts there. But I really do think it is a battle on, on 50 different fronts. Or if you think about counties and cities, maybe even more than that. Amy Littlefield, it is such a pleasure to have you and your brilliance here on the show. I'd love to have you back uh, more often in the months to come because I know it's going to be a very busy time. What is the best way for our listeners to keep up with you and your work? Oh, I'm on Twitter at Amy Littlefield, and I write regularly at The Nation. Such a pleasure. I would love to get you back. Uh, I just so admire what you do and the way you do it. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you so much for a great conversation. I'd love to join you again. We'll, we'll harass you then. Watch your inbox. We got to hit a quick break, folks. We'll be right back and having open phones all the way till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. Our number is 866-997-GRIT. We got a lot to get to, and we want to know how you're handling all of it. Don't go away. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. We're at 866-997-GRIT. Let me get to uh, one of our calls really quick, as you guys have been so patient on hold. Hello to Douglas in Chicago. Thanks for your Hello, patience. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? All right. Debbie Gibson is pregnant with my two-headed love child. We like the classics Debbie, here. Debbie is cut, Debbie's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine from the 80s, so it's kind of serendipitous that you played that just before you put me on the air. Really? I'm not sure if you're allowed to do that anymore with Megan's Law. I think at this point, you're not allowed to listen to Debbie Gibson. I could be wrong. I've got to check oh, it out. Oh, come on. No. Nah, I know, I know Debbie. Much, I, she's much past 21 now, so it's, it's safe. <laughs> What's on your mind? All right. Uh, this is kind of delicate. I mean, I, uh, I found your last guest very informative. He's good radio. <laughs> He's very informative about what he does, but I'm just going to say it. All polls are crap. Fair point. I try to tune them out as much as I can. I would follow the first news channel who said, we are just not going to acknowledge polls in any way, shape or form. If they did that, I would care way less about their, you know, uh, political leanings one way or another. Well, let, let me ask you about that, because when you say all polls are crap, do you mean like the polls that say, you mean polls about issues or polls about candidates? Because like, say, polls that show over 70% of Americans didn't want to see Roe versus Wade overturned. I think those polls that show where our values align or differ are valuable. Whereas saying who's going to win this campaign doesn't matter. That. Okay. I have less of a problem about that. I care I'm more sensitive about the horse racing polls. Right. I understand. Because they all mean nothing. After 2016 with Hillary Clinton, polls mean nothing. It all comes down to turnout. And we also know that it, people lie yeah, on polls. And, and my big just, thing is a lot, of, a lot of polls, not this one, but a lot of polls, like names I could say, like Rasmussen, they're landlines. So you know that the pollers are generally talking to older people who still have landlines and pick them up yeah. during dinner hours, which to me is not always the best indicator of where the national pulse is. Yeah, I, I would rather have them about you know actual issues, um, about things that are in the news, but not about individuals, because I right think on. that becomes self-fulfilling prophecies. And okay. I, wish, I wish more editors would take, be aware of that. I don't care about you as you do a different kind of show. Yes, I do. No one will ever accuse me of being too uh, 
being taken seriously. But you know, I, I got to tell you, you're uh, you're on the right trend. I think polls are polling very badly, so it doesn't look good for polls. Uh, but thank you, Douglas. I appreciate your take on it. Thank you. We'll be right back after this. This is progress. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's say hello to our friend Mitch in Kent State. Hi, Mitch. Hey, John. Thank you. Uh, you know, you're talking about, uh, first real quick, uh, Bob changed his name back in 1962. I 60 guess, years ago today. Yeah, he, but he, he had me a little uh, unsure about it, because at first he said, you can call me Terry, you can call me Timmy, you may call me Bobby, you can call me Zimmy, or you may call me RJ, or call me Ray. So I guess he had to make up his mind there. Now, 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 I know you're making a joke, <laughs> but Bob never said that until 1980. And by the way, 1980 is now still what, like in the first quarter of Bob Dylan's career? <laughs> long ago. And by the way, happy birthday, Jim Capaldi of Traffic also. Uh, oh, you stumped me. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I didn't know the, the you can call me Zimmy uh, line because uh, we named a cat Zimmy once after that Bob Dylan ah. song. <laughs> clever, clever. Uh, also, Andy name. Fairweather Low. Today's his birthday also. Oh, I said God. Andy Fairweather Low. Great guitarist. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, John. But uh, yeah, great guitarist, of course, uh, with Clapton. and uh, I think he's on a couple of Paul's albums also. Yeah, he, uh, he, he does his on McCartney albums and George Harrison albums as well. And right. he backs up what? Clapton. You listen to that uh, Eric Clapton Unplugged or Eric Clapton 24 Nights album. A lot of times it's, it's Andy who is uh, making Eric look good. Jeez, right. come on. Couple of Fairweather fans over here. Oh, so, oh, you're still in trouble from the last terrible pun. Closer <laughs> uh, for George also wasn't he there for that? Not only was he there for that, he sang the closing number. He said they closed with that song "Wawa," which, if oh. you don't mind me saying, as someone who flew to London just to see that concert, I was in the audience. What a whack song to close with. I'm sorry, it was just crazy and wacky. But Andy Fairweather Low sings lead on that. If you listen on the album. Like uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo and Tom Petty or Jeff Lynne are all on stage. Billy Preston. And, and he sings the last song. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, John, I don't hear about this, but uh, down in Atlanta, they are canceling this uh, music festival down there. Do you about that? They sure are. Yeah. Uh, you know what? This could be uh, a sign of things to come, I think, for a lot of these red states that, uh, you know, uh, embellish their gun laws. You know, uh, let's, let's be open to free and carry anywhere you want, you know, at, at any time. I think uh, this could uh, you know, have a little backlash, I think, for some of these concert promoters and people that uh, want to have, uh, you know, open um, uh, events, festivals, whatever. Uh, it's going to you know, perhaps cause a little snag in what they want to do and uh, yeah. lose revenue, whatever else, plus not to mention the artists, uh, yep. heard on them. 
I mean, first of all, what happened in Atlanta is Exhibit A for why Stacey Abrams must become the governor of this wonderful state. Because every year they have this festival, right? Music Midtown. And tens of thousands of people come for this concert every year. And they get big musicians. And it's always a big thing. And they just announced it's no longer be taking place this year. Will no longer be taking place. Not, not, we're taking one year off. Will no longer be taking place. And the reason, they didn't give an official reason, but obviously they, enough people who were involved said it was because of Georgia's new gun law, which allows firearms in public spaces, including parks. Now, think about this. On like a state's rights level, weapons and explosives of any kind are banned at the festival, according to their website. And, you know, the gun rights people had this big pressure campaign against that. Um, so people, people at Live Nation talked to Rolling Stone, and they said the Georgia gun laws were the reason. And, I mean, think about it. These, 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 these terrorists, these white Christian terrorists who are not Christian, forced this festival to cancel. And Atlanta City Council president said that this was the worst case scenario. He said people have to hold the folks who are making these policies accountable and express their displeasure. Because, you know, it's more or less saying you can't have a big, huge outdoor concert with tons of people, tens of thousands of people, and you're allowed to bring guns in. You can't do it. And they wouldn't let the the law keep the organizers of the festival from banning firearms in a park. Mm. So, you know, think about the cost of insurance when firearms are allowed and there's alcohol there. Georgia did not think this legislation through. And, and it's not about gun safety. It's about drunk motherfuckers with guns. They had to cancel it. It's too dangerous. Hello, Mike DeWine, by the way, because uh, if you heard, but, uh, you know, Ohio just enacted theirs here, too. The Ohio State Fair, you were allowed to bring your guns to the Ohio State Fair. Oh. I, to the to the fair, I mean, you know, what the hell could go wrong? It's just unbelievable that it's it, you know Ohio's going by the way of the, of the rest anymore. It's just unbelievable. Like, but like I say, I think there's going to be uh, you know some rethinking maybe on some of this. I don't know if, if people would get pissed off enough that uh, you know they're going to lose this and lose that as far as their entertainment stuff. Because they're going to have to. I mean, they're going to have to. You know, and again, this was a big fest. This is going to be like Future was playing at this, and Jack White was playing at this thing. Fallout Boy was playing this thing. But if you're running it, what kind of liability insurance can you have? Like, how can you guarantee the safety of people when drunks can bring guns in? You can't do it. You just can't. I mean, if you're the festival organizer, think about the lawsuits you're opening yourself up to. It's not about good citizenship. It's just good business. And letting any drunk bring any kind of gun into a public space, that's bad for capitalism. That's what this story's about. Real quick, John, by the way, I was going to mention this 14th Amendment. Does that have any any life at all as far as uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, as far as uh, the um, aid and comfort, providing Trump, providing aid and comfort to all the insurrectionists there, as far as, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is it was a Civil War thing, but it was that's the one that's um, uh, you can't serve in a government if you would engage in insurrection or rebellion against the United States or give an aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Right. 
in a yeah. and, well, you know, in an odd way, he really is. But you know, I don't know. I guess there's going to be it's going to be up to Merrick Garland first of all to even you know get close to anything like that. I don't know if we'll be up to Merrick Garland. We'll probably up to a jury at some point. But I mean, at the same time, if you're a Democrat, why do you want to make Donald Trump a perpetual victim? Why, you know, I, I'm sorry. I think I think letting him run and wreck the Republican Party makes more and more sense every year. Have you seen the man? He's losing his mind. He is not healthy. He is not doing well. Let him run for president. Let him tear Ron DeSantis down. I, I know people are sick of hearing me say this, but let the guy run. I, I You know, I, I just... But yes, you could technically use... If you could prove that it was insurrection, which it was, you could use um, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But why would you want to... Well, you know, but I'm saying there's other politicians that were involved in that, you know, uh, as far as uh, being a part of that scene. I mean, uh, you know, any other Republican people that were involved in that scene, whether they would be banned from running again. So I don't know. uh, That's a good point. I mean, where would it end as well? Right. Like if you had voted, I mean, you could technically make the argument that anybody who voted to acquit Trump, that anyone who voted later that night to do the mob's work and throw out the votes in Arizona and Pennsylvania were also uh, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States. I, I, I don't... Look, we didn't go after the Confederates, you know, at when the war ended. We let them all off scot-free. No one went to jail for the Iraq War that killed a million people. I just don't see heads rolling over this. Uh, one quick promotion, if I may, John. Uh, yeah. Uh, Joe Walsh is having a, uh, a thing for the veterans. He, he does it like almost every year. He didn't do the last time a couple times because of uh, COVID. But uh, uh, on November 13th in Columbus, uh, he's having a, uh, a concert for veterans uh, down there. Uh, he's getting back with the James Gang. The James Gang back oh. together again after 50 years. And also with Nine Inch Nails, all Ohio people. Nine Inch Nails, the Black Keys, the, the Breeders, and special appearance by uh, David uh, Grohl. David Grohl. Oh, okay. Where is this? Yeah. In Where Columbus, is this? On, on, in Columbus on November 13th. Very nice. Okay, yeah. got the plug in. That sounds like a fun show. Yeah, yeah. But uh, y'all, for the vets, it's that same weekend for the vets. So uh, still love Joe, for sure. I love Joe. Joe's a friend of this show. He's one of our favorite guests we've ever had. Mitch, you're a gentleman. I don't know, I don't know why you call us. Thank you so much. 